Welcome back to Gardening Talk back this Monday afternoon. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Obviously, it is Christmas is just around the corner, so this is probably the time to it is. start I, looking at it. I lose track of dates at this time of the year, and apparently Christmas is around the corner, and I know because the New South Wales Christmas bush are coming out in flower <laughs> at the moment. So that's how you know you don't check calendars. No, calendars, no phones or anything like that. Don't worry about that. It's just Christmas bush flowering. Yep. Christmas yep. is coming. It's on its way. They <laughs> have a fantastic, beautiful red flower. They're actually not a, a difficult plant to grow. You just have to have exactly the right place for them. Now, they get to about five metres tall. They are native uh, to here in New South Wales. Yep. You see quite a lot of them up around Port Stephens, in fact. Uh, lots and lots up around there. They really like sandy conditions. So up around Port Stephens, uh, around Corlett, very sandy up there. Uh, so at this time of year, if you you drive around, you'll see them, you know, sort of sparkling red through the bush, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, they don't like, you know, sort of clay damp conditions, so they're not going to do very well if you've got a lot of clay or, you know, really soggy conditions uh, around your place. Uh, so you do need sand uh, around Hamilton South, you know, yep. they do really well down there. Uh, and like I said, they get to about five minutes tall, not a huge tree, uh, and you can get the, uh, the flowers and take, cut them, take them inside around this time of year. So they don't get out of control? No, they certainly don't get out of control. Probably not a plant to prune uh, too much. Uh, you know, you might start to lose the shape. They do actually have a nice upright conical shape. Uh, and now the best one to get is uh, Albury's Red. It's got the sort of the darkest red colour that you can get. Uh, look, a really good plant. Very, uh, very attractive at this time of year. Uh, even a nice little shade tree. But the main thing is it's a native, uh, no cow manure, only blood and bone or native fertilisers and a good, well-drained, sandy position. And it will go great guns for you. It'll be kicking off Christmas in style. It will be, yeah. That said, there is actually one in Merriweather that I can think of that's almost, you know, in an old creek bed. And for some reason, it does very well there okay. too. Yeah, I think it's almost that initial stages with the plant, getting it yep. up and running, uh, not sitting in soggy conditions. And then eventually, once they're up and running, off they go. Great plant. Unstoppable. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Christmas bushes, Bruce from Ellie Barn has got a question about that and also magnolias. How can we help you, Bruce? Hi, Scott. Um, I'm just about to plant out a garden. Uh, it's a... Uh... It's a very sandy sort of soil. It's, it's very well drained. It's got some nutrients. We're putting on some uh, cow manure on top of it, digging it in. Not too much. Um, I want to plant out the garden in the next week or two. And you mentioned the New South Wales Christmas bush. And my wife said to me only a couple of days ago she wants some of that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to plant an advanced or super advanced magnolia known as an Elizabeth. Yes. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, now, this this area in the garden um, gets full sun from about 11 o'clock all, all the way through to late afternoon. Yes. Um, my main question is, if I'm going to invest in these, am I going to be able to keep them alive? Yeah, look, it sounds like you've got ideal conditions for both of those plants, Bruce. Uh, so you've got the full sun, which both of them actually require. And uh, look, for the uh, New South Wales Christmas bush, you've got the sandy conditions you've been talking about. The only thing I wouldn't do uh, where you're going to put the uh, New South Wales Christmas bush is I'd, I'd go, uh, you know, I'd try not to use cow manure in that area. Okay. Yeah. So if you haven't put the cow manure down yet, mate, I'd uh, no. avoid putting it in that area. Uh, Always when you put down cow manure, uh, you never plant directly into it. You always wait a week or so. You actually even water the soil uh, just to, you know, sort of cool it down a bit. That's what I say. I say cool it down. It's just breaking it down and uh, 
you know, so it's not going to burn the plants. Uh, but okay. certainly, yeah, the magnolia will like the, uh, the cow manure, but I'll just steer clear where you're going to put the New South Wales Christmas bush. Okay. That's fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much. Good luck with it, mate. I'm sure it's going to look fantastic for you. Beautiful in a couple of years. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate thanks, it. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. Thanks, Bruce. We've got Riley from Hinton. And she's got a question about an orange tree. Oh, okay. How are you going, Scott? Yes, very well. How can we help you? Oh, yeah, I've, we've got an orange tree. It's probably about, I don't know, 10 to 15 years old now. But um, last season it developed all these tiny little white things all over the trunk and it kind of sapped all the goodness out of the leaves. Yes. So we looked it up and it was some kind of little strip and it said to treat it with a sulphur. Okay. Sulphur spray. So we've done that. We've had to cut the tree right back. It was like about five foot. Now it's about three. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got new growth over it. It's starting to, like, oh, probably four inch long new growth. But the white things are still there. Yeah, so look, I, I'm thinking rather than a strip that you, you've been describing, it might have been <laughs> louse scale. Sorry, my chook. Oh, <laughs> that's excellent. It's not a rooster, so... <laughs> Uh, I think it might have actually been louse scale that you've got on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, louse scale. Now, roses, standard roses get that as well, and citrus get louse scale quite badly as well. It's almost like a little dusting of, uh, oh, how would you describe it, like icing sugar or something? It just becomes... No, no, no. They're like long white things, like long, oh, about two millimetres long. Yeah. And they're very thin, like a needle. Yeah, look, I, I think it's probably going to be louse scale. Okay. So what you need to do is get a product called anti-scale, which is a mixture of uh, white oil and malathon together. And if you can't get the anti-scale, just get some white oil and some malathon. Oh, uh, my husband has that, yeah. Excellent, okay. So you spray that all up and down the trunk, all over the rest of the plant as well. It's not going to harm it in any way. And you do that again in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, now, often with louse scale, it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, sort of come off. It might still be there. Eventually, if you get a toothbrush or a, uh, you know, sort of, sort of uh, you know, heavier brush, you can just lightly brush it off and you'll see it flake off once it's dry. So you, okay. you, you do that once and then again in a couple of weeks' time. And then if you want to, you can actually use white oil as a preventative. You can just spray the white oil over the plant. Uh, make sure it's not too hot. You certainly wouldn't spray white oil today when the temperatures are over, uh, okay, over 30 degrees. Okay, it'll cook Yep, and, uh, you, or you can do it in the morning or later on in the evening as well. Uh, but, yeah, you can use the white oil as a preventative. Uh, but okay. definitely get that malathon and white oil and give it a good old drenching. Don't be shy about it. Uh, make sure that it's running right down the trunk. Okay, that's great. Excellent. Okay, help, good Scott. luck with the oranges. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we've got Marjorie from Tea Gardens. And, Scott, she's got a question about striking succulent cuttings. How can we help you with it, Marjorie? Oh, good, good afternoon, Scott. Um, I've been fortunate enough to come by some beautiful cuttings of um, Echeveria, Crassula, and some flapjacks. Mm-hmm. Is it true that if you dip them in sulphur, it can be quite successful? Oh, I don't know about sulphur. I haven't heard that one. Uh, I've uh, heard... That's uh, an old husband's tale. <laughs> I've heard honey's an excellent thing to dip them yeah. into, yeah. But certainly when I have seen them being propagated at uh, the nurseries, at succulent nurseries, they don't do any of that. They actually just break the leaves off and they sort of line them up like little soldiers in a row in a propagation tray with some propagation mix. And then eventually those little guys just sort of sucker off and grow roots at the end and off they go. You don't have to poke them into the soil then, is no, that what you're saying? No, just a very small amount. Like they'll break off into individual leaves and just sort of line them up at an angle and just poke them slightly into the soil and then you'll find the roots actually come from the end of that leaf. 
Okay, I've got some pieces with quite healthy-looking stems, mm-hmm. and I'd like to just poke them down and in. Could I do that? Yeah, you can certainly do that. That's probably the easy way. I guess the uh, you know the wholesale growers they're trying to do it so they maximise the uh, you know the number of cuttings and, and yes. material they yes. get from each plant. But yes. for you, you could certainly just do that. Uh, just stick the uh, you know the, the pieces down with the little trunks into into the uh, into the propagation yes. mix, and all will be well. I've left them on the bench for, they've been there for about three days now just to dry off a bit and um, just keep them not too wet, not too dry. Should work, huh? Absolutely, and make sure you use a good propagation mix. Uh, that's most important because it, oh. it, is, it is draining. So it freely drains, and that's the main thing when you're propagating. You don't want it sitting in really soggy no. conditions. They drown, don't they? they? They certainly would, yes. Not a good thing to do. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for that, Scott. Okay, thank you, Marjorie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers, Marjorie. We've got Robin from Belmont North, and she wants some advice in regards to daisies. How can we help you, Robin? Hello, Scott. I've, um, I only know them as everlasting daisies from flower arrangements and so forth, and I'd really like to grow some, but I have no idea what their real name is when I go to ask for them in a, in a nursery. So... Are we talking? Are you talking about paper daisies? That's what yes, I. Yes, I think that's what I'm talking about. They they dry out and and you can keep them for a long time after you've finished with the whole rest of the arrangement. Yes, I always love them. You always touch them and they and the flowers they sort of crinkle and crackle. That's in, right. Yeah, yeah. It is. That's it's all, the one. It is as if they're made from crepe paper or something. They're quite. That's yeah. that's right. Look, if you go into into a garden centre and say, "Have you got any paper daisies?" They are going to know what you're talking about. I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Other common name is paper, paper daisy. Paper daisy. That, that's what most people call them. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Thank you very much. There, there is a there, there is a uh, production nursery in uh, Victoria called PGA, and they do a lot of paper daisies. Uh, and most garden centres will have some PGA stock, so they should be able to help you out with that. Great, great. Thank you very much. Okay, not a problem, Robin. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. I think I prefer everlasting daisies. That sounds better. Yeah, it's almost like the the font of you know, the, like the spring of you know eternal life, isn't it? When you say everlasting, yeah, it gives, yeah. gives you hope. It does, doesn't it? Mm. And we've got Marie from Balcolin, and she's got a question about roses. Yes. How can we help you with your roses, Marie? Um, it's just one rose. The others have done really good. It's the the main trunk of the rose looks like it's been snowing on it. It's white, <laughs> and I've used lime sulphur and it's worked on all the others but it and I've done it three bets I think I've overdone it <laughs> and I've been out with a brush but it just won't come off and this it's a Queen Elizabeth it's an old rose uh, I've I've fed it with black marvel and the others are all flowering beautifully but it's got three little flowers on it so I think something is on the, I don't know if the lime sulphur was worked on the others, but not on that one. Yeah, so look, it sounds so. We were talking to Riley out at Hinton with her orange tree, and she had sounds like she had louse scale on hers, and that sounds exactly what you've got on yours, Marie. Yeah, uh, yeah. And look, lime sulphur does work on louse scale, but the danger with lime sulphur uh, is that. Uh, it can actually burn the roses if you're, you know, injudicious about your spraying and you get it all over the leaves or other parts That's of the garden. What I've done. Yeah, yeah, so you have to. I've, be... over, I've 
I've overdone it. Yes, yeah. no, 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 don't, don't, don't throw the baby <laughs> out with the bathwater. So we only ever use lime sulphur just after the roses have been pruned because that's the safest time to yeah, use it. Yeah, that's when I put it on. Yeah, okay. So yeah. It, it may well be that the last scar. Look, it's not your fault. They're just little windborne insects. Don't uh, don't beat yourself up about it. Uh, uh, they could just be blown in from the next door neighbours, sort of thing, and uh, they just land on your plant and off they go. What you need uh, to do is get a product called uh, Anti Scale. Anti Scale. Uh, yeah, which mm. is a mixture of malathion and white oil and you spray that up and down the trunk until it's running down there quite a lot of it uh and uh you uh, do it this you know once and then you go and do it again in a couple of weeks time if you're really yeah. worried about it after that couple of weeks usually you can get a toothbrush or a brush and if it's dry and it, once it's, it's it's dead it will actually be dry and flaky and you can just sort of brush it off yeah. i do i do all of your roses just don't do the one yeah. Um, because, you, like I said, they're borne around by the wind, so you know they could be on your other mm. roses now and you just yeah. haven't quite noticed. Once the foliage comes up and it's flowering, I don't like to put the lime sulphur on. It seems a bit strong. Yeah, definitely only use the and lime sulphur. I just sulfur. use a thing. Yeah. But oh, oh, it, it's trying to, up above where the white is, put new shoots out. Mm. But it's a, it's a tall white stem with it. <laughs> and the other roses have been beautiful. Yeah. And so, it had three little flowers, and it's a lovely flower, a lovely rose, the Queen oh, Elizabeth. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Look, the reason it's not happy is because Laos scales a little sap-sucking insect, and when you yeah. get you know thousands of them on there, yeah. and they're all having their go, well, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be an unhappy plant. So yeah. you have yeah. to you have to get rid of it and try yeah. and make it healthy again. Yes, it just shows because the other roses, when I pruned them back, did have that little bit of white scale, but the lime sulphur worked on them, but it just didn't work on this one for some reason. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll get some anti-scale and... Yep, give that a go. And it doesn't smell like rotten head gas either. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool, the other stuff, isn't it? It certainly is. (laughs) Okay, thanks very much for your help. I will do that next time I'm out. Okay, good luck with Thank you. Bye. Cheers, thanks, Marie. We've got Peter from Chain Valley Bay, and he's got a question about English oak trees. How can we help you with your... English oaks. It's not. It's Sherwood Forest. <laughs> yeah, I know, mate. I know. Look, I've just come back from Tasmania, and I'm, I'm pretty keen woodworker. And I struck this English oak tree in a cemetery down there. Yes. And uh, I picked up all the seeds off the ground, well, you know, a dozen of them, um, and brought them home back up here to the central coast. And I've been gone on the internet and had a bit of a look, and they said put them in a bucket of water. Whatever floats is no good, and whatever sinks is good. So I've sort of done that, and I've got a couple of trees on the go. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, but one of them's living in spite of me. I've, um, it's not actually, it hasn't developed any leaves. One has and one hasn't. And I keep thinking it's dead and I go to pull it out and it's got roots on it because I keep sticking it back in there, but um, I think it's going to live in spite of me. But um, how destructive are these things around houses and stuff? Yeah, look, of course, oak trees become very, very large plants. They will grow here in Newcastle. I have seen a couple of them growing. Uh, yep. Look, obviously, they're going to do a lot better down in places like Tasmania, down in those cooler climates. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in Melbourne, Victoria, you'll have yep. a much better success rate. But they they will grow up here in Newcastle. I think they're a little bit more susceptible to fungal diseases up here in Newcastle. But once the plant's, you know, up and running and turned into a large tree, that's not going to bother it too much. Uh, yeah. So, look, yes, they will be destructive. A big tree, uh, you know, they they can get, uh, you know, 12, 15 metres tall and, uh, you know, probably almost as wide as well. So you've got to start thinking that the root system's going to be spreading out, you know, that much. So if, uh, you know, it's a bit like a jacaranda, I guess, it's something you're going to put right down in the back of the garden as far away from the house as possible. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, I did catch one of your shows the other week about Jack Amanda's. You said they're pretty destructive sort of a thing. Yeah, I'd look, I, I just think, you know, the flowers and then the leaves, they just make a mess. So, you know, they're very beautiful at the moment. Uh, but, uh, look, I think the same thing with the oak tree. It's, uh, it's a plant you need to keep a fair way away from your house and certainly not, uh, you know, planted straight over the top of any pipes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I've got mate, power I, I, lines around me, so yeah, yeah that si- might bother it too. So yeah, some situ- yeah. some situational awareness as to where you're going to put it, and you could have a nice plant. Yeah. Well, I really like the look of them, and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's a bit of an experiment for me. I mean, I'm not a real avid gardener, but for some reason, I want to try and grow these oak trees. So. Well, you might be able to get some truffles growing on the roots as well, and uh, yeah. all of a sudden, you'll be making a fortune down there in Chain Valley. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right. Good on you. Thanks very much for your help, Scott. Okay, good luck with the Peter. Uh, okay, mate. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. I think that might have been Peter's plan, actually. It could be. Then he has to get a truffle pig as well. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's a lot of that's a lot of effort for truffles. I wonder if you feed the truffles to the pig, would the bacon taste so much better? It, it does. Yeah, okay. It does. <laughs> now, Scott, flowering time is... Well, it's the time for flowering. Yes. And hydrangeas are also out at the moment. They are. The grandma's flowers. The grandma's flowers. Yeah. I think everyone's grandma probably had a hydrangea in the, in the garden. In the yard, I think mine did. Yeah, I, mean, I you, cast my mind back. And they are such a resilient, beautiful plant. They, yep. they grow up near the beach. Yep. Up in the salty, sandy conditions, I've seen them up there in horrendous conditions. And you think, oh, what's the go here? You're supposed to be a soft, you know, sort of gentle old grandma's plant, and uh, you know, here you are. You, you're giving a fair crack in the sun and the salt, and uh, amazing. Up in Bar Beach Avenue, I've seen them out in the full sun as well, and they're oh, a okay. plant that you know typically really likes to be in a little bit of shade. So they're tough. They are tough. You know, these old fashioned plants are really, really tough. And the great thing about them is that this time of year they burst out into flower and they have the most amazing colours. Uh, you can't just get pure white. Yep. And the great thing about pure white is it doesn't uh, change colour, it just stays white. But you can get the pinks and you can get blues. And the great thing about those is you can change the colour of the flower. Oh. Yeah, by changing the pH of the soil. It's like this magic plant. Uh, okay, so you can change the soil. PH, yeah. PH, yeah. yeah. And, but it doesn't happen overnight. Oh. Yeah, it's not like... Oh. Yeah. It's that's, not magic. That's, that's it's... what spray paints all about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you put it in the box and whip the uh, you know the black cover off and all of a sudden it's changed and there's a rabbit with it as well. <laughs> not, not quite that magic, but over time you can change the pH of the soil and swap them from blue to pink. Uh, there's also purples as well and you can swap those around uh, as well. Uh, look... Does it matter how many times you can swap them around? Or once, no, I once, don't... once they're swapped, they're swapped? I think it's like a yearly thing. It's not... Yeah, okay. it's like it's not something you can do, you know, quick, smart. Yeah. Uh, but uh, look, they are a plant that I guess does like a little bit of shade. That's where I would prefer to grow them. Uh, some morning sun up until, you know, perhaps about 12 o'clock. And if you can get them into the shade after that, they're going to do a lot, lot better. They do like a bit of a drink uh, because they're a very fleshy plant. Yep. Uh, so you look at me like that, but it's water that they, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, they okay. it's water that they now prefer. Yep. And so they'll, uh, you know, they'll soak up a fair bit of water. So if you've got a, you know, a wet spot in the garden, they'll, they'll go fairly well for you then. They are deciduous. But that's not a problem because, uh, you know, that's the, the magic of nature, isn't it? You know, you get all these different contrasts in the world and winter's a fantastic time for contrast. The leaves go off and yep. get that nice spindly look. Uh, very easy to look after. You just give them a prune back to the double bud and that ensures you get a flower on them uh, the year after. So hydrangeas out in flower at the moment. Uh, I'm sure the uh, garden centres have got plenty of yep. them at the moment. So, so it's a great time to get some hydrangeas. Yeah, if you want to go and Spruce choose... up your garden. Yeah, and you want to choose the exact colour flower uh, that you want, great time to get out into the garden centres and choose them now. Oh, okay, great. So you can just... So you could, could I just say pick a white one? Yeah, but yours is going to stay white if you pick a white one. Oh. Yeah. 
That's unfortunate. It is. Because yeah. you think white we'd be able to change over, but no, no. White's the funny one. It, it's sort of it's actually quite nice. It has a slight tinge of pink to it, yep. uh, especially when it comes out in bud and then when it starts to go off again. Um, but uh, look, it is a really nice, uh, you know, white. It's a very pure white and you can get uh, different styles of flowers with them, lace caps and uh, the ball ones as well. The lace caps have slightly bigger flowers on them. Uh, so yeah, great time to choose in the garden centres at the moment. Very good. Get your hands on some hydrangeas while you can. It's a gardening talkback on 2NURFM. Any calls for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Helen from Wallsend. She's got a question about geraniums. How can we help you with them? Yeah, uh, hi, Scott. I just wanted to know if you had any uh, tips on how to grow them. I mean, I've grown them, um, but they only start off okay, but they tend to just go a bit leggy and they go horrible uh, after a time. And I just wanted there's a secret to, is it too much water, no water at all, hardly any water? Or um, Because I was down in Adelaide um, last month. I've never seen geraniums grow like anything down there. They were just wonderful, as well as the roses down there. The roses are spectacular. Um, and, but the geraniums were everywhere too, but they were growing so beautifully. And I just wondered if there's, there's some way you can grow them better. In Newcastle. Yeah, look, Newcastle's got this fantastic thing uh, that's called humidity. Yeah, and, uh, that's what it is. <laughs> and, and uh, Melbourne, Victoria and Adelaide don't have that. And that's why the geraniums ah. and the roses look so much better down there. You also oh, get definitely. Yeah, petostrums and conifers growing so much better down there as well. Right. Uh, so, look, I, they do like the full sun. Yep. They do like dry conditions and they yep. do like the heat. So if you've got them in shady conditions, they will get a little bit leggy as they're growing out to the sun. No, they're in, they're in sun, so okay. it shouldn't be that. Yeah, so again, just pinch them back every now and again yep. uh, just to try and keep them spreading out from down okay. below. But again, look, as long as they're in full sun, dry conditions, uh, you are battling the humidity. They can get... Uh, you know, mildews here on them. So you just have to be careful about that and use yeah. fungicides. But uh, generally, a very, very tough plant uh, loves yeah, the hot, yeah. dry conditions that you find yeah. in Adelaide. Oh, they're stunning down there. They're absolutely stunning. I saw them growing up tree trunks, which are quite amazing. Mm. It was just lovely. So. Yeah, look, I always wonder why Adelaide's able to grow things like submarines and stuff down there as well. But <laughs> New- We've got a harbour and Newcastle's not allowed to grow those, apparently. But- a fair comment. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to ask the government about that. Okay. Okay. Thanks anyway. Okay. Scott. Good luck. Thanks, Helen. Okay. Bye. Olivia from a chain of Valley Bay. Now, Scott, she's got a question about lemon trees. I how, have two. How can we help you with the lemon trees, Olivia? I can. We have had one that's come up on its own, and and they're very healthy looking. Always two. One we bought and potted, and another one that's come up on its own and has um, never flowered and never, ever fruited. And the one that we've got in a pot, it's in the same boat. Um, When we were wondering what we're doing wrong to make it, you know, um, not fruit. Yeah, now are they both in the full sun, Olivia? Well... Yes and no. They, <laughs> they get a fair, they get a lot, a fair bit of sun. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're in full sun, but um, most of the day they're in fair sun. 
Okay, that that sounds all right. Now, uh, look, citrus are very, very heavy feeders, and so you need to be feeding them about three or four times a year with uh, you know some sort of organic fertilizer, and then at other times with liquid fertilizers as well. Uh, now, of course, you want your uh, citrus to flower, so you get fruit off it. So the most important thing to use is sulfate of potash. Uh, so you get some of that and you start using that. You can use that, uh, you know, every couple of weeks, you know, every month if you want to. And you start building that up in the soil and that will really improve the fruiting and flowering of the plant. Now, this one that you said, uh, you know, sort of sprung up by itself. What, what, what's the story there? I don't know. All I know <laughs> is that it, this tree came up in, the, in, our, in front of our shed. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. And then I looked at, looked at the... the the branch and the leaf, and I seen this icon, and I thought, boy, that's got something to do with uh, lemon or. You know, yeah, yeah. So, so, look, it may may well have been a seed that uh, you know got dropped there by a bird, perhaps. So, you know, the bird yeah. probably had a bit of taste in its mouth at the time if it was a lemon. Uh, but the other thing it can be is that uh, citrus, uh, you know, are actually grafted onto wild rootstock. So, if there was an old citrus there in the past, or uh, you know, it might be one in the in the area, uh, you know, they can actually come back, and you get this really thorny, uh, you know, sort of citrus with only small leaves on it. And they no, were, they're fairly good sized leaves. Uh, okay, so it sounds like you might have been, been a bit fortunate and had you know a seed drop there, and it sounds like it's a, it's a growing for you. Yeah. Yeah. So look again with that, just keep on fertilising it regularly. Uh, you know, three to four times a year with an organic fertiliser. Uh, make sure they're well watered and uh, use the sulphate of potash on that one as well, and see what happens. Okay. Thank you. Excellent. Not a problem, Olivia. Okay. Thank okay. you very much. Have a nice afternoon. Same to you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks very much, Olivia. It's Gardening Chalk back. We've got time for maybe a couple more calls, Scott. You're, you're, you're flying the ship here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Trina from Wanji, and she's got a question about a ponytail tree. I think you might be able to turn your radio off too. Hello? Hello, John. How are you? Yeah, how can we help you, Trina? I've got a friend that lives in Budgeboy, and she's got a ponytail. Palm? Yeah. Yep, yep. Anyway, there was a couple of pups growing out that, so I took them out of the tree and I put them in dirt. They lasted okay for a little bit, but I don't, I think I killed them or they're dying. Um, do they have a lot of water, not much water? I'm not sure though. Yeah, look, ponytail palms, they t- you know typically survive with only a very small amount of water. They've got that big bulbous, uh, you know, trunk on them, and that stores an enormous amount of water. It's very fleshy and, and moist in there. Uh, but if you're taking pups off them, if you're taking sort of, you know, those little sports that come off them, uh, they should, uh, you know, you probably actually have to give them some water so that they start to get a decent root system about them. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd done that, but I thought maybe I've overwatered them now. Yeah, look, and that could be the case if, uh, you know, it's a, when you're taking uh, cuttings like that, it's always a bit of a juggling act. It's, you know, the old three-ball juggle. Uh, you know, you don't want to overwater them, but you don't want to, so they sit in soggy conditions, but you don't want them in really, really dry you know, conditions, so they just wither up as well. So you just have to make sure that, uh, you know, they're, they're getting enough water to, you know, look, you know, keep themselves going, but not so much that they're just going to sit there and rot away. Fair enough. Okay. Thank you. Okay, for, thanks, Doc. Thanks for that, Trina. Thanks, Cheers. Bye-bye. See you, Doc. All right, Trina. We've got Alan on the line now from Medford, and he's got a question about tomatoes or tomatoes. <laughs> How can we help you, Alan? 
look, I've got a, a marvellous crop of tomatoes growing. Yes. The bushes are fantastic. The fruit is fantastic. But as soon as they start ripening, there's a grub gets into them. Okay, so it sounds like you've got the uh, big bad fruit fly in your tomatoes. Uh, so what's probably happened is that they've been getting in there quite early, you know, before it's actually starting to ripen. So you need to actually, you know, start a bit of a program where you're trapping and spraying. Uh, so you can get fruit fly traps from, uh, you know, your local garden centre and they yeah. work really, really well. You can also dust as well if you want to. Uh, and you can also just use a spray. Now, some people will also get, uh, you know, some Vegemite and an insecticide like Malathon, and you can mix that up into a bit of a paste, and you can smear that over any, you know, like the steak, if you've got the tomatoes staked up, and that will attract the fruit flies in. They uh, have a drink of the, uh, the, you know, go to the Vegemite, and when they're there, they, uh, you know, they suck up the Malathon as well, and that kills them. So, uh, you know, getting rid of fruit flies is a bit of a three-pronged attack. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we do dust them with uh, Deristus. Deristus, alpha, yep, Deristus. So that should, uh, you know, help. But unfortunately, it is one of those things you have to do, uh, you know, use all the methods that are available to you yeah. and also start, you know, quite, start quite early. You know, once that fruit is set and it's there and it's green on the plant, you actually have to start then. Fruit fly used to only, you know, sting uh, when it was, you know, the fruit was, you know, ripening and soft, but it just seems that they, they're getting in there earlier and earlier all the time. Yeah, okay. okay. And what was the uh, insecticide you mixed with the... Yeah, that's one. It's called Malathon. Malathon. Yeah. Okay, then. Thank you very Not much. Not a problem, Alan. You have a bit of luck with it, mate. Right. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers, thanks, Alan. Scott, we do have time for just one more call, and it is Myrna from New Lambton. Myrna, how can we help you? Uh, Lassiandra, or now known as a Tibicina. Yes, yes. It's growing at the end of the garden bed. In a garden bed alongside of it, though, in the front of it is full of snappies in flower and red dahlias. Now, what I'm wondering, I'd like to whip that tree, the big tree down. Mm -hmm. But if I do... It's in the garden with gardenias and geraniums and whatnot in it, but nothing grows around it because the roots and you just can't keep it moist. So if I cut that down or get it cut down, will that make the roots grow more? And is it deep-rooted because my phone line runs along there? No, look, most tibicinas aren't deep. Uh, you know, they're not a deep-rooted tree. They only get to about three to four metres tall. Um, the only reason to go into your phone line is if you're having saucy conversations on there and it wants to tap into them. But uh, oh, okay. <laughs> most, uh, most trees will only go in, you know, when there's moisture into sewer lines. So, yes, get rid of it. Uh, if you don't want to get a stump grinder in to get rid of the roots, you probably do need to poison it. So you can actually drill that stump as soon as it's cut down or very near after and uh -huh. use a product called Tree and Blackberry Killer. You actually drill it and pour that in. Uh, you go away for an hour or so and you'll find it will have been absorbed in and you give it another dose. And that just goes down through the root system of the tree and it will kill all the old roots in under the ground for you. Oh, good. Now, it won't kill the gardenias and that that's growing no. more or less two foot from it. No, most certainly not. It's only contained within the root system of the plant. Uh-huh. Wonderful. All right, then. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Not Appreciate a problem. it. Okay, you have Thank good you. luck with bye the matter. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks very much. It's Gardening Talk back on 2 Wire FM. Scott Shop. That is all for us this afternoon. Okay. I've got sharp, I should have said. That's right, we're all finished. Now, before you knock out, is there anything else you'd like to bring up? I just thought I'd talk very quickly about a new viola that out, that's out. It's called The Tsar. Yep. It has a very Russian 
overtones there. <laughs> but uh, the viola odorata, excellent for uh, shady uh, conditions. It will form a very, very nice ground cover. You could have it in a pot as well, spilling out over the side. Uh, beautiful purple flowers and green foliage, all very nice. Very good, Scott. We've run out of time. Catch you again next week. See you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>